This is the waves. 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 Welcome to the waves, Slate's podcast about gender, feminism, and today at least, aging alongside your favorite pop stars. Every episode, you get a new pair of feminists to talk about the thing we can't get off our minds. And today you've got me, Asha Saluja, managing producer of Slate Podcasts. And me, Shannon Paulus, Slate's senior editor, mostly covering science and health. So the thing we can't get off our minds this week is that it's a huge week in pop music. Last Friday, pop icon and near-constant figure of public fascination Taylor Swift marked the re-release of her 2012 album Red with a short film, a slew of late-night interviews, and an SNL appearance. And this coming weekend, beloved but reclusive megastar Adele gears up for the release of her next album, 30, after a two-hour primetime special that featured an intimate concert and an interview with Oprah. I am a huge music fan and devoted follower of all of the pop girlies, so I'm really excited to talk to you, Shannon, about both of these album cycles, and in particular, how they speak to one decidedly feminist concern— the way we react to prominent women aging in the public eye. Shannon, why did you want to talk about this? Asha, I spend maybe 90% of my life when I have headphones in listening to Taylor Swift. Um, I was a big fan of Red when it came out. Taylor was 22. I was 22. And getting to revisit Red alongside Taylor is just a magical experience in we're happy, free, confused in all the best ways. That that has been my vibe all weekend. I've also been thinking a lot about what it means to observe pop stars and their public images. I recently wrote about Adele's weight loss and how I feel about that and how I feel weird about having feelings about that. So I'm really excited to dive into pop stars and new music and what it means to be a woman in the spotlight. I feel you on all of those things. I'm so excited, too. And we should mention that uh, we're right about the same age. So these pop stars and the particular ages that they are are really ripe for our specific projections. So I'm right there with you. Stay tuned. And we're going to deep dive into what that's been like for us as women, feminists and pop fans to get older with these women and witness their careers over time. Hello, Waves listener. We hope that you're enjoying the show. And if you are, be sure to come back every Thursday for a new episode. To make it easy, you can subscribe to our feed. And while you're there, check out some other episodes, too, like last week's conversation, which was really, really great about using the words pregnant person versus pregnant women. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Taylor Swift is currently on a press tour for the re-release of her 2012 album, Red, this is part of a big project to re-record and release the entirety of her catalog, 
prior to the year 2018 so that she owns the masters to her songs in addition to owning the songwriting credits. We can get into what I think about this entire undertaking, which is turning out to be quite a big uh, sort of like mid-career milestone for Taylor Swift. But first, Shannon, let's get into how this particular release speaks to the current career moment Taylor finds herself in and how her age and gender have informed it. Shannon, I know you mentioned that Red is a particularly meaningful Taylor album to you. Do you want to talk about why? Yeah, so the theme of Red is being 22 years old, and I was 22 when Red came out. So that just felt magical. This pop star who sings about emotions in in very deep and descriptive ways was my age and was in some ways going through a lot of the stuff that I was going through. One of the songs that resonated with me most on Red, particularly on the original was we are never, ever getting back together. And it it just kind of captures that feeling of being in college and kind of surveying everyone in your life about your dating moves and kind of gathering intel about your like love interest dating moves and strategizing and kind of in a lot of ways doing anything except having a conversation directly with them about your needs and then going and making this big declarative statement like we're never ever getting back together was very relatable and in particular the bridge of the song where she's talking and and she says and I'm like I'm just I mean this is exhausting you know like we're never getting back together like ever no I, I think that I've quoted that in therapy at least once just to, it really captured emotionally what was going on in my dating life. And I listened to that like very carefully on the re-release and it, it just didn't seem the same as on the original. I think you have to be in that kind of 22 headspace to to get out that little spoken word part with, with all of that emphasis. For me, the song that resonated the most this time around was All Too Well, the 10-minute version. She just seemed much more together than I did. And I, I know people say, oh, well, she dated a ton of guys and she's always been dramatic. And like, I didn't, I just didn't buy that. Like, she she seemed like she, she was really in love and had this love that was like deeper and more valid than my kind of needy, like crummy love that wasn't reciprocated. <laughs> and in the new version, it's just like, the the new verses that are slotted into the 10 minute version reveal this entire backstory to me that does align with my experience. And I think does align a lot with the experience of being 22 and in kind of a shitty relationship where you're not really getting what you need out of it. I think that these lyrics make the song all the more relatable. And I think in some ways they help me at least unpack the sort of internalized misogyny I've maybe had about the topics of, you know, Taylor's music over the years. She's definitely lived most of her 20s in the shadow of this early press narrative that was created around her as, like, a serial dater, as someone who is writing entire albums about a guy she's dated for a few months, sort of like a dating dilettante, but also like a super dramatic, scorned woman. Uh, And all of these things were both really gendered in a way that I see as sexist, 
but also that I was really susceptible to as someone who sort of lived throughout my 20s as like, you know, someone who did not wish to be defined by the men in my life. But these details helped me unpack the misogyny that I felt toward her and sort of the like judgment that I held toward her for for writing long songs about guys that she maybe saw for a few months because our society is in a different place right now. We're taking women's pain more seriously. We're like... Yes, like like she's seen as a serial dater and she's like a lot of the chatter, which I've frankly not engaged with because I, I don't want to. I want my feelings about this album to stay pure. One thing I've always appreciated about Taylor is the way that she kind of blows up these really small feelings and lends them like real gravity. Some of her songs are about someone who she saw once briefly. And my counter to like, well, isn't that ridiculous is it's like, well, it's not really about the guy. It's about something you're processing within yourself and trying to find your place in the world, exploring those feelings of like what you need and what you want and who you want to become through people you see who you think are hot or people you have these like little special dancing around in the refrigerator light moments with. It is really worthwhile. And and men do this, by the way, too. The song Hey There Delilah that was really popular when we were in high school was about some girl that the singer met at a party briefly. I mean, from the scarf to like the refrigerator light to all of the details in this song, I'm now in a headspace where I think it's like really beautiful and powerful that she's able to draw sort of masterpieces out of small emotions and small experiences. You know, I have some some like mixed feelings and some critical thoughts about a major pop star hitting her 30s and spending a bunch of time uh, as a pit stop, sort of like looking back to her even younger days. She's like doubling the amount of material that was that was originally released. So I can't hold it against her that she's not still digging into her creative well and, like, making new things happen. But it does disappoint me on one level as a woman who's kind of, like, about to turn 31, who's staring down sort of, like, the next decade of my life, that the pop star who's my age, the one that I've aged through my teens and 20s with, is stopping at this juncture to spend all of this time in a more youthful place and, like, uh, in a nostalgic place for a younger age. And I think the reason I feel so strongly about this is that I, right now, am also finding myself, like, oddly nostalgic for this era of my life. I kind of wonder a little bit, like, is this because we don't necessarily have romanticized narratives of what it's like to be 32 compared to what it's like to be 22? I kind of wonder, like, whether she and I are both susceptible to, like, a sort of societal infatuation with with youth. But one thing I also wanted to bring up is that she's not unself-aware about this. And, in fact, she was thinking about it long before it occurred to me, having sort of aged in the spotlight, uh, becoming a famous teenager, and basically feeling like she was potentially going to be old news— by the time she was writing this album, Red. It was her fourth album. And one of the new From the Vault songs that she released as a duet with Phoebe Bridgers is called Nothing New. And some of the lyrics speak to this fear and concern of mine super directly. I know someday I'm gonna meet her It's a fever dream The kind of rain 
I listen to this album and I think, thank God I'm not 22 anymore. So we've talked quite a bit now about this re-release project. And another component of sort of like the conversation around it that's been rubbing me the wrong way is like that she kind of talks about it as a feminist pursuit. Taylor Swift is one of the richest women in America. While I think it's great for her on a personal level to, like, regain creative control of the stuff that she's made in the past and that was kind of, like, exploitatively, to be fair, wrested from her control very early on when she was a teenager, I don't know that I necessarily see it as, like, a win for women that she's doing this project on a business level. Shannon, I'm really curious. What do you think? I have to say, I like mostly don't give a shit, but in terms of a means to an end and us getting this new stuff, I support it. I I think that like Taylor's whole like beef with people, part of her persona is one that I kind of try to ignore because it is embarrassing. (laughs) Same with the part of her that released a keychain that says, fuck the patriarchy with the you start out after people were going insane over the lyric. Like, why start out the you? (laughs) Another thing about this album cycle is that part of the motivation for it, to be sure, was, like, business-oriented. I mean, she's doing this entire re-release project to sort of best a business rival, and it's going really well, like, tons of critical acclaim. But when we look at it as a business move, it's hard to not wonder, like, in a music industry that is known to sort of discard women once they expire at the ripe old age of 35, it's a little disappointing that sort of the re-release project has like been just so lucrative and been viewed as such a savvy, super savvy business move. Again, you can't hold this against her because she's doing incredible things when she is living in the present, like Folklore and Evermore, some of her best work, if not you know, potentially her overall best work. I think she's more creatively fruitful than ever. Yeah, so it just leaves me with mixed feelings about why, you know, we're not allowing her to, like, move straightforwardly into her 30s. It sort of reminds me of the fact that, you know, movies these days are all, like, sequels. You know, we have Fast and Furious, like, part 100. It feels like, in a way... Everybody's just sort of looking at old IP and saying, what can we do with this? Yeah, man, dust off that old IP. (laughs) It's totally a trend that's taking hold of, like, the music industry, too, with uh, studios getting into TikTok and saying, like, which songs can we make viral? So, yeah, it seems like she's totally not above this, like, music industry strategery, strategizing. What I really love about the re-release project is just getting the fresh material, the From the Vault material. And this re-release of Red was such a trove of that. I feel like I got a little mini album from Taylor. Yeah, she's definitely bringing it with the new material. And ultimately, it's really inspiring to listen to the re-recordings because her voice sounds so much more mature and kind of overtly better, in my opinion. Like, she's really grown as a singer since the original recordings, as much as I have, like, mixed and critical feelings about this retrospective, I appreciate that she's 
revisiting this era with, like, as you say, wiser eyes. One thing I refuse to engage with is watching the All Too Well film. I will not watch the All Too Well film. Oh, my God. I loved it. (laughs) I I think it actually really hammered this home for me in, in a way that I was like, oh, man, I really felt this way. Like, I'm watching this happen this this whole scene has has happened to me. So yeah, no pressure, but I don't not recommend it. I think I'm going to stick to sitting around and pretending the entire song is literally about me and I'm not going to do anything that would puncture that. Perfect. Okay, so on that note, uh, we have another pop star whose life we're projecting ourselves into right now, and that is Adele. We're going to take a break here and we're going to get into a bunch of that right after the break. But if you want to hear more from Shannon and me about another topic, check out our Waves Plus segment, Is This Feminist?, where today we're going to be debating whether pop stars not dancing in music videos is feminist. Stay tuned for that. If you're not yet a Slate Plus member, you should join now. Members get bonus content like our amazing segment, but also on shows like Slow Burn, Slate Money, Culture Gab Fest, and more. It's only $1 for the first month. To sign up, go to slate.com slash thewavesplus. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Okay, so we're back. And we're going to dive into the career arc of Adele, who, by contrast to Taylor Swift's current press moment, has embarked on one of her own that is distinctly marking her next decade of life with her album 30, which comes out this Friday. In the music video for the first single on the album, Easy On Me, Adele is truly marking the passing of time in the first shots of the video for her most recent big single, a few years back, Hello. She's seen entering and settling into a dusty old house. In the opening shots for this new video, she is shown leaving that same house, which is lived in and no longer dusty having a breezy phone conversation. So she's signaling, time has passed, I've weathered a storm, and I'm okay. 
And in her primetime special, which aired this past Sunday night, she talked to Oprah about a lot of the things that precipitated this new era. Her divorce, her raising her son Angelo as a single parent, cutting out alcohol for a while, and one big change, Shannon, that you wrote about recently in Slate. Should we dive right into it? Let's dive in. So Adele is skinny now compared to the way she looked before. She's been skinny for a while. Uh, Last spring, she announced her skinniness to the world in an Instagram post that quickly went viral and was dissected on all manner of news sites and no doubt comment sections and places where trolls hang out. And with this current cycle, we got Skinny Adele in a music video. We have Skinny Adele doing press. This has made me really bummed out. So many of our pop stars are really, really super skinny. That's almost almost a job requirement is being super skinny. So to have one of the ones who is not skinny become skinny felt to me like a loss. And I want to be really clear here that I'm talking about the image of Adele and not Adele the person, because Adele the person can do whatever she wants with her body. It's none of my business. But Adele professionally is a celebrity image that's crafted for music videos, for magazines. You can't lose weight as a megastar and not have the thought of like, how is this affecting my public image? How is this strengthening it going into that journey? Yeah, I think there's some really interesting stuff in the Oprah interview about this, where she's kind of like, listen, I've always been objectified for my body. She's kind of like, my body has never not figured in to how I've been perceived as a star. And so right now is no different. And it's like, yeah, certain people saw themselves in me before and certain people see themselves in me now. And she said she sort of does feel bad that the people who used to see themselves in her might feel disappointed, but she, you know, can't live her life around that. My body has been objectified my entire career. Mm. I'm either too big, I'm either too small, like, you know, I'm either hot or I'm either not, like, whatever. I never looked up to anyone because of their body. You know, I never admired anyone because they had the same hair color as me or the same style as me or, you know, whatever. So or were the same weight as you? Never. Never, ever, ever. And when you were heavier, you were fine. I was, and I was body positive then and I'm body positive now. But it's not my job to validate how people feel about their bodies. And I feel bad that, you know, it's made anyone feel horrible about themselves. But that's not my job. And I I can't, I'm trying to sort my own life out. You know, I can't (laughs) add add another worry and another thing to try and nail. I can't. And I think that that is important that Adele, the, the human being that, sits inside of this like big cloud of celebrity image, which is the part that we see, Adele the human being doesn't owe anyone anything in terms of like being a a point of representation of like a different size in the music industry. The people who are responsible for that are the people behind the scenes who are selecting who gets to be a recording artist and a pop star and who is going to have their name listed in the liner notes of an album for having written the song, and who gets to be on magazines, and and in what shape, and in what presentation. 
and I tried to be really clear about this in my piece, when we're talking about Adele or even when we're talking about Taylor Swift and making this calculated decision to re-record her albums, we're not really talking about one human woman here. We're talking about an entire business structure around that person and then an entire industry around that one person's business structure. So when I say that I'm bummed that Adele lost weight, that's the thought and the feeling that I'm having. But what's under that is I'm bummed that our pop stars are really fucking conventionally hot in a very specific way. And when you lose someone that's like not conventionally attractive on one very narrow axis, it feels like a backslide because the range of what people look like is so, so narrow. That's what I'm bummed about. That's what I, in fact, am very angry about. I also think it's really interesting that Adele's sort of like opened up about this in, you know, a pretty carefully calculated but still vulnerable way in a way that like sort of mimics mimics a template that these other sort of like post-20s pop stars have followed too. Like it almost feels like it's part of the template now that a pop star who, you know, hits 29 is going to have to open up to the public about their struggle with their body and like whether they're already super thin and conventionally attractive or whether, you know, they're on the other side of that. It's just part of the script now. A big part of sort of like Taylor Swift's public image in her last few years has been opening up about basically healing from an eating disorder or at least some disordered eating. And this reminds me, too, of another star who kind of serves as the template for these two women in terms of just their ages, what it's like to be one of the most famous women in music over the age of 30, and that's Beyoncé. Beyoncé sort of marked her aging out of her 20s with a really similar confessional moment where she sort of talked about the struggles with her body image that she'd had in the past, the diets that she followed to kind of like gear up toward her biggest moments, and the pressure that she still feels as even as a woman in her 30s uh, to sort of, as they say, eat clean and follow a specific diet. Good morning. It's 5 a.m. And this is day one of rehearsals for Coachella. Every woman's nightmare. This is my weight. 175. Long way to go. Let's get it. Beyonce is famously a very private person, and the fact that one of the few intimacies we got of her life that, you know, doesn't come through her music, because her music is, of course, very intimate, but one of the, like, inside looks we have at her life over the past few years is, like, is her standing on a scale. That's disturbing to me. Yeah, and you can't begrudge any of these individual women for sort of living through the fat phobia and body stigma that we are all susceptible to. Um, And I'm sure that it really helps some people for them to come out and talk about, you know, what they go through to maintain the bodies that they have and, uh, you know, what struggle and strife it causes them to have to feel the pressure to do that. 
But at the same time, like, it would be so liberating to just have a format or a template for a woman who's aging into her 30s, 40s, and beyond without making her body the centerpiece of the conversation. It does feel like a small piece of what you have to offer if you are a very famous woman is the, like, story of how you came to terms with your body or how you made your body smaller or how you changed your body. Like, that—that that is a newsworthy fact about yourself, and and that's what's disturbing. It's not, again, right, I don't begrudge anyone for taking the cards that they've been dealt and using them like this. Yeah. Adele is one of those pop stars that is sort of on a different trajectory than I, at least me personally, and probably a lot of the millennials that are her, that are her contemporaries. So this whole album cycle is tied to a new era for her personal, mental, physical, spiritual growth. And she's been very careful to paint it as such. But one thing I think is really interesting about how that's being reflected in her career is that at least from her lead single on this new album, all of that growth is kind of sounding the same. Like Adele's, you know, Easy On Me could have easily been on on 25. And to be fair, we have not heard the whole album yet. Like Taylor, she is sort of like showing a lot of growth as a vocalist and a singer. It turns out that she's actually had vocal cord surgery, leading to a really clear and beautiful voice. But in terms of like how the music is arriving with us, like Shannon, would you agree that she's not necessarily showing as much growth, dare I say? You know what you're going to get with an Adele song. It's an Adele song. It's wonderful. It's well sung and it's heartfelt and it's an Adele song. One thing that I do want to push back on You mentioned that Adele has really focused on how her weight loss is part of this mental shift and being healthier and feeling better about herself. I I hate it when people talk about weight loss like that because it implies that, oh, if you get healthy and if you're in a better headspace, you'll lose weight. When I actually think a lot of times you can get healthy and be in a better headspace and stay the same weight or even gain weight. I, yeah, her talking about it that way certainly does perpetuate a stereotype that we're probably better off without right now. I also think that Adele's music has clearly stayed a lot more steady than Taylor's, but Adele also stays out of the spotlight to a much, much bigger extent than Taylor. She doesn't gossip as much. She doesn't leave Easter eggs in her songs for people to figure out her past lovers and who she was photographed with. And I I think that bolsters the sense of maturity that her songs have. The older I get, the more I realize that everybody deals with the same petty relationship shit that everybody else does to a certain extent. And maturity isn't not having that petty stuff happen Maturity is kind of keeping it under wraps sometimes. It is sort of the surefire sign of a pop star coming into their own uh, as they age into new decades. It's like deciding what you are or are not going to contribute 
to the conversation about you. So, like, Adele is a little more following the Beyonce script. You know, Beyonce, as she grew older, became just super, super careful about what press she was going to do, in what capacities you were going to be allowed to to see her existing. Adele's doing a little bit of the same, you know. She went off the radar for five, six years, and now she's coming back in Oprah fashion. So it's obviously a pretty carefully calculated maneuver. Taylor Swift is handling things a little bit differently. She's allowing herself to be uh, viewed and accessed uh, to a, a bit of a greater extent, but she's like controlling more of the narrative in a very personal way. Obviously, she's doing this re-record thing. She's directing the music videos. She is, like, partnering on every single detail of the business venture. It's these three different pop stars aging into a sense of control that works for them. Before we head out, we want to give some recommendations. Asha, what are you loving right now? I have two recommendations. They're both things that I think are going to jolt my senses as we head into the winter doldrums of uh, COVID year two. The first one is a brand of hand sanitizer. It's called Jao Refresher, J-A-O. And, uh, you know, if you're like me and sometimes you're out in public transport or other public settings, you feel like you need to get the germs off your hands real quick when you don't have access to a sink. But the smell of regular hand sanitizer brings you a deep sensory recall to the beginning of COVID. Uh, This will jolt you out of that. It smells amazing somehow, despite having the recommended amount of alcohol to actually clean your hands per the CDC. So that's my one recommendation. My other recommendation is singing in the shower. I recommend it. It's good for you. Just try it. My recommendation is getting a latte and going for a walk with a latte. I have been on a latte streak at work recently where every afternoon or many afternoons I go and buy a latte or a cappuccino from this fancy little coffee truck in our office complex. And I know that the the whole financial recommendation that you shouldn't buy coffee out and like certainly not lattes has been debunked many times, but I feel particularly satisfied when I have a near daily latte and I think I can afford this. It's not as expensive as has been ingrained into each of us. It's a nice, small luxury. Look at us millennials through and through. That's our show this week. The Waves is produced by Shana Roth. Susan Matthews is our editorial director, with June Thomas providing oversight and moral support. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And please consider supporting the show by joining Slate Plus. Members get benefits like zero ads on any Slate podcast and unlimited reading on the Slate site. No paywall. It's only $1 for the first month. To learn more, go to slate.com slash thewavesplus. We'd also love to hear from you. Email us at thewaves at slate.com. The Waves will be back next week. Different hosts, different topic, same time and place.
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. <laughs> 